بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين والصحابة الأكرمين تابعينهم بإحسان إلى يوم الدين وعلينا معهم وفيهم برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وزدنا علما يا أرحم الراحمين بسم الله I apologize for the uh, sounds and installing some carpet there so inshallah ta'ala we're going to continue our study and this text titled Riyadat al-Subyan and it really is about educating children and ultimately we always want to remind ourselves throughout this study if someone doesn't have something they can't give something so really, we should always remind ourselves when we talk about educating children or trying to help anyone, we always need to begin with our own selves. If we don't have something, we can't give something. You can't offer what it is that you don't have. So this is very important, and this is a very healthy perspective to begin with our own selves and seeing what it is that you and I can do within our own selves. And the best way to teach anyone and the best way to disseminate anything is through osmosis, by living it and allowing them to be impacted by how you are, even before your words. And this is the foundation. And the great Mashaikh of Tarbiyah, the great scholars who have been charged with this very heavy and great duty of nurturing students, this is the primary way that they do this. And they see it as a marathon, not a sprint. And oftentimes they will allow their students to do certain things because it's not time to address it. There's more important things to address. So this whole process requires abundant wisdom and really a lot of self-control. Because a lot of the mistakes that we make in tarbiyah, in educating and raising children, are actually mistakes of judgment that get back to flaws that we have. And we blame them for it. But there could be a lot of projection. And it might be something we actually have taught them. Or it might have not been the right time or the right place to address a certain issue. Or there might be circumstances that are outside of their control and so forth and so on. This is why we always have to remember this principle. And that... Um, really in, in anything that is that we do. And many, many of these principles are the same. Whether it's a parent in relation to their children, whether it is someone who's uh, a project manager and managing people, whether it's a teacher with his or her student, and a lot of these different relationships, the principles are really the same. And we're speaking about it first and foremost now in the context of raising children. So... Um, I hope that all of you have, have acquired a copy of Educating Children. There's a lot of benefit in these discussions because we're not reading through it word by word. We're um, going section by section and, and we're bringing out some of what is in the, the uh, commentary that is translated and then the reflections of that Sidi uh, Abdul Aziz Ahmed. And so that we've reached page 65 of the, of the, of the, of the text in English. And this is where the author says in Arabic, وَإِنْ ضَرَبْ مُعَلِّمُ السَّبْيَانِ 
So the last section was about, uh, we, we spoke about learning the Qur'an and having a class on the Qur'an and then preoccupying the children with what is best for them, training them to focus on what is going to benefit them, helping develop their intellect. And now he's going to speak to a very uh, particular point. And this is probably one of the more controversial points uh, in the traditional text, um, especially in light of a lot of uh, modern laws, not so much in the United States, more so really uh, in places like Europe that have completely banned all forms of corporal punishment, including the spanking of children. But he says here, uh, but, I, but I do want to, have to understand what he's trying to get at, and from a traditional perspective, uh, what really is there, and then we can apply it to our time. So he says here, and if the boy's teacher strikes him, or the father or either of the parents, he should not cry like women, or seek intercession through another or complain. He says, because the customary way of courageous people is that they don't mention what happened to them, rather they are patient. Oh, so you can imagine if you taught this in an elementary school. See, I told you these Muslims from the time that they're young is that they beat their children, they're violent by nature. Um, but the reality is, and I'm not saying this is a good reality, we'll talk about the different dimensions of this. Seven, they estimate that 70% of Muslim of Americans do physically discipline their children. That's the reality. The vast majority of parents do. Outside of being politically correct, the vast majority of parents um, from different backgrounds do physically discipline their children. Um, and I think the important thing is, is for us is that we understand the parameters that are there. And this is how I'll start and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back to try to touch on as many uh, of the um, dimensions of it that we can. First of all, you have the ideal, which is the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu The Prophet Muhammad sallallahu never hit anyone. Not a woman, nor a child, no one. Not even his own animals, sallallahu The Prophet never hit anyone, sallallahu And that's perfection. And so we always have to remember that. That's the ideal that we should all strive towards. And no one trained and nurtured people like he did, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. No one Im- embedded in all the people that are around him, men and women alike, young and old alike, that the highest virtues like he did, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's what we call kamal, perfection, that we should all strive towards. And at the same time, it is permissible to discipline your children as long as it doesn't go to extremes. So extremes obviously include the things that we all know. Severe pain, inflicting severe pain, bruises, broken bones, things of that nature. A'udhu Billah. And so on one hand we have to see a lot of good in some of these modern laws because there's very real Cases of kids getting 
that harmed severely by their parents. And so laws have a place. And so we have to respect that. And this is obviously what we don't mean. So this is why it's a touchy situation because let's just say someone when they were a children, uh, when they were a child, was a victim of this. They're going to have a skewed perspective because any mention of it's going to trigger in their mind what it actually really isn't. Okay, so it is a touchy subject, of course, as would be the case with any discussion of any type of abuse, um, that you have to be very careful when you, when you talk about it. And at the same time, that we have to be balanced in its approach and, and to talk about uh, solutions. So it is permissible to discipline your children. Um, and this is actually, according to U.S. law, reasonable discipline is lawful. You're not going to get put in jail for what would be called reasonable discipline. And in some states, they will say things like, okay, they'll differentiate between kind of smacking with an open hand as opposed to a closed fist. But that's generally considered, even in U.S. law, reasonable discipline is acceptable. And um, that would include, in general, things like um, smacking or spanking. Um, And, of course, we as Muslims would... uh, include added details to that in terms of right parts of the body where someone would be doing this and so forth. And, and obviously we know that the face of an individual has a special honor. And this is a, a place that we would definitely avoid. So how do we understand the difference between these two? You have what is permissible, which we have to understand here, the interplay between sharia and between ihsan. So islam and ihsan. And that something being permissible doesn't mean it's good. It means it's permissible. But we know the path of Ihsan, if we're able to tread it, is always going to be better. So how would you understand that with some of the conflicting research? Because there is research that says, and again, they speak of corporal punishment here, which could even include you know, uh, things that we're obviously not talking about but just any type of inflicting of any type of harm on the body, is that um, there is conflicting research. On one hand, there's, and they're probably more so now in the minority, uh, those that say um, some of the research is dubious about the many negative effects that are associated with corporal punishment and some inflicting uh, uh, pain on children or disciplining them physically. Um, but then again, what exactly are they talking about? Are they talking about the type that is um, that unlawful, whether in Sharia or by U.S. law, or are they talking about the type that is within reason and reasonable? So there's there's ambiguity there. Um, but generally speaking, uh, but that's more how if we talk about the permissible side of it, by virtue of it being permissible, it very well could be that were you to have done the better of the two, it would have led to the better result. So when we understand the path of Ihsan, which again, this gets back to how we started. This gets back to how you and I are or in relation to our children. You can't be a person of Ihsan if you are not really a person of Ihsan. You can't show Ihsan if you're not someone who is wired for that internally, and so forth and so on. And so I think this is important to see it kind of in this lens, and I'm sure there's um, more details that that we can come up, and we'll allow plenty of time 
to, to discuss this, and, and I, I would be very, be very open to hearing uh, everybody else's opinion on this. So just to, just to rephrase, when we talk about that disciplining children physically, there's the way of ihsan on one side of the scale, which is the Prophet ﷺ never did it. And the great mashayikh of tarbiyah, the great teachers that, have, that raise children and raise students, it's just not of their way. Right, um, that this is the great teachers. They 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 just their their way is a way of love and mercy, and really inculcating love and mercy and allowing their children to come to love the dean. And at the same time, the other extreme of that is where that someone is doing something that is either unlawful according to American law or haram in the Sharia, and 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 that there is a, a middle way that is a way of, of permissibility here, but the highest way is the way of, of Ihsan. Um, now, we'll come back to that point and we'll leave a, plenty of time for, for Q&A on it. Uh, but what his point here is actually, he's not encouraging parents to do that. Really, this line is for the child himself. If the child is disciplined like that, then... This is where that there should be inculcated in the child a sense of resilience, a sense of toughness. And this kind of is unfortunately controversial a little bit in some circles as well. But I don't think it should be. Um, We have to understand we live in the United States of America. Our goal is to raise children that can function in society. And the society in which we live is not an easy society. If you have gone through college, if you've done a postgraduate degree, if you've been in the corporate world, if you have interacted with a lot of people outside of your close family and social circle, it's not an easy world. It requires a toughness. It requires resilience. And we are required as parents to teach our children that. There's times we have to be firm. There's times we have to be assertive. What's going to happen if your child is so soft that they're in a position where they're being bullied? Not everyone can put their children in that a nice private school. Not everyone can homeschool. Not everyone can put their children in an Islamic school. Okay, so what do you do? That if your child, because of the way that they look, the color of their skin, how they're dressing, that the type of food that they bring to lunch, or whatever else all of these things that we know kids go through, what are we going to do? If they're just so soft that they can't defend themselves, this is a problem. And this is something we must teach our children, is that good character, yes, at its root, it's very much associated with goodness and gentleness and character. But good character does not mean when you're going to be bullied or mistreated or taken advantage of, that you let people do it. That's a misunderstanding. Good character then is you stand firm. And sometimes it means putting other people in their place. And sometimes it means being able to physically defend yourself. I think it's a very good idea that we train all of our children, men and women alike, young boys and girls alike, to defend themselves. So that, that I mean, I know with my own daughter, la qadr Allah, 
if she's ever in a situation where the man that she's married to tries to physically... No, she needs to know how to defend herself and learn some Indonesian silat or whatever and yani, dismantle them. Yeah, I would kill him too. But, but aside from that, um, that they need to know how to defend themselves. This is important because these things happen. They're real. And we can brush it aside like, oh no, these things, you know, we're going to just talk about this fluffy reality. No, these things are very real. And we all know they're real. And we can't, at the level of learning, we can't just act like they don't exist. That's one of the worst, that it's, it's sometimes for the right reasons that parents do this, but it's not right. It's actually wrong to gloss over reality as if things don't exist and, and expect them that they're going to be fine with all of these things without really thinking. And I found this to be one of the most common problems with Muslim parents is that they simply act like these things don't exist. And they think that their kids are just going to you know, go through school and oftentimes we're talking about public school. The vast majority of Muslims are in public school. I mean, there's only about 500 Muslim schools anyway in the United States. There's only about, they estimate, maybe 25 to 30,000 that, uh, that young kids that are in Muslim schools. There's not many. Right? And so what are the rest doing? Well, I mean, if you think about it as well, only roughly 10% of Muslims are even going to Juma in the United States. Those are the numbers that they estimate. And that's an old stat. That could be even less now. So where are the Muslims, this whole idea that we're not integrated is actually ridiculous. We're actually too integrated, really. In many ways, we're too integrated, such that we have that lost our principles. And I remember people growing up before I converted that, wow, I didn't know they're Muslim until later. And I was like, he was Muslim, she was Muslim. Right, and I didn't, you know, because they, they were just like everybody else, um, and 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 that's that's not a good thing, of course. Anyhow, we can't gloss over these things as if they don't exist, and there's a responsibility on the parent side to do their best to understand what their children are going to go through and give them the tools in order to do it. And so, really, what these lines are talking about is that it's to teach them to be a little bit tough. Now, on one hand, that doesn't mean that they just let themselves get abused. Tough, and then you, they just take abuse. No. But tough in a balanced way. Teaching them resilience as well. And um, that this is, there's, there's active ways that we can do this. And um, that this is one of the, the, the great traits, though, of life, too. Because this goes in hand in hand with their mindset. And there's two basic types of mindsets. You could have a fixed mindset, they call it, or you could have a growth mindset. And that what we really want is to have a growth mindset. And the, the, the main difference between the two is, how do you respond when there's failure? When there's failure, you don't get the grade that you want in a class, you don't get the job that you want, you don't make the team that you wanted, whatever else. How do you respond? Do you just whimper away and just like, oh... Right? It's because of this or that, and because, oh, they preferred this over me, oh, da, 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 right? Or, is it no? 
Okay, I didn't get that job. I didn't make that team. I didn't get that grade. All right. What, why didn't I? Being introspective. What can I do to make sure that doesn't happen again? I'm going to not see this as a failure. I'm going to see this now as an opportunity for growth. And think about if that trait was in your child, oh my God, what would they not be successful at when they're older? And you can do that when they're disciplined. Okay, how are you going to respond? Are you going to just, you know, uh, that be down and out? And, or are you going to bounce back? And finding creative ways to teach them to bounce back. And, okay, that you got in trouble because you didn't do the dishes or you didn't that make your bed or you said something that you, could, you shouldn't have said or you did something. Okay, what's your going to be a response to that? How are you going to change and bounce back from that? This is really what he is, is that uh, a part of. But he's also speaking something to hear that something that you and I also all know. And that this trait of shaja'ah, of courage, um, and which translates into this amazing resilience. There's something, and I, I, I probably can't articulate it, but it's, there's clearly something in the modern world, and it's probably due to the level of comfort that we all have, and the way that through modern applied technology, our lives have become so easy. We don't have the resilience that our parents or our grandparents had. Really, think about your own parents. Think about your grandparents. Think about things that you know they have gone through and situations they have been in and how, subhanAllah, that the littlest prick in our times and all of a sudden, we lose it. But think about what was it, how did they have that? And they would have said the same thing about their parents and they would have said the same thing about their grandparents. And um, to a certain degree, we are going to be affected by this. But there are ways that the parents can teach the children to be a little bit tougher, to be a little bit more resilient. And, and this is really uh, the point here of, of what he's trying to get at. So you can, uh, he has a whole thing here about his opinion uh, on this. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I do agree in general with what he's saying insofar as his primary teacher was Habib Ahmad Shudr Haddad, and, uh, who was one of the teachers of, of, of Habib Umar bin Hafiz as well. And um, some of you have met the grandson of uh, Habib Ahmed and has seen how beautiful and loving and, and gentle he is, even with his own family. Uh, I would in general say that in our time, um, we really need to move more towards the aspect of Ihsan. And that I would say that in more traditional cultures, for a number of reasons, that doing what was permissible would have had much less backlash or much, there would be many less negative repercussions than there would be in our culture here. Right, so, um, and he's speaking in the context of the UK, so I do think it's a little bit different here. Um, it's not as common here where kids experience of Sunday schools that they're getting beat for not memorizing um, what it is that they should be memorizing. Um, and I think in general, because of the way that our s societies are structured, um, I would say especially rather because of the way our societies are structured, we really have to move more towards that way of Ihsan.
because you, you don't want your children to experience a nice, loving environment in public school or wherever it is that they're going to school. And then they associate their Quran teacher or their Islamic studies teacher as someone who's just very mean and that will punish them for not learning what it is, you know. So, you know, it is very important to consider that. Now, how to inspire teachers to be creative and to... Again, it gets back to the self. It gets back to the self. And um, if you want me to be honest, um, many of the Sunday schools that I've seen, even though they're doing good work, and may Allah reward them, it's like, I wouldn't put my children there now. Offline. I wouldn't. You know, may Allah reward them for their effort. But, you know what I mean? And even the whole approach of that oftentimes is fear-based. I'm just really, I really worry about that being the right approach in our context. Now, I also worry about people that are so soft that there's no element of fear. No, there has to be an element of fear. Sometimes now in our communities that people are so sensitive that if you talk about hell or you talk about something that they should avoid because it's wrong and there's a fear component... People just say, no, 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 I just want like a spiritual, very general approach to the religion. That's an imbalance as well. What we want is in the middle. Hope has its place. Fear has its place. Love has its place. But we have to put everything in its proper place. In one extreme, uh, we don't want to go from one extreme to the other. But having said that, I do really believe that the primary way that we should be raising our children and the primary motivating factor behind our Islamic institutions, our children's madrasas and things of this nature, should be instilling in the children a love for the deen, a love for Allah, a love for the Prophet ﷺ. That's the foundation. This whole, the whole reason we've been created is that. So why wouldn't that be the foundation? And then at times, but look, if you choose to do this, there's consequences. Because in life, there are consequences. And for us to raise our children without them recognizing that there's consequences for their actions, now whether it's physical <coughs> discipline or other types of discipline, we've wronged them. Because if you're working for a company and you don't show up to work or you're not performing, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get fired. Right? It's cutthroat out there. Your behavior has consequences. Right? You cross the line in certain things, Sometimes that, there, that means you're doing time in jail. You're going to have such and such a thing happen. So we, our children have to know that there's consequences, um, even if that we don't have some type of physical discipline. Um, okay. And then the next lines, because keep in mind this is in the context of learning Quran, this is in the context of how they should respond if they were physically disciplined, he brings up a very important point here. And that you could call this the need for relaxation. How children have to have time off. They can't just study, 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 study. Everything has its time. So the next line state, 
وراحة السبياني بعد المكتب أن يأذن الولي لهم باللاعب فإنه عند السبي محبوب وقلبه أيضا به يطيب وكثرة التعليم موت القلب ويذهب الذكاء وبعد اللب فيطلبون للخلاص حيلة تنجي من التعليم أو وسيلة This translates as There should be relaxation by the children after study when the guardian allows them to play for it is beloved to the child and through it his heart becomes sweet. Too much teaching or too much learning kills the heart, causing sharpness in some of the intellect to be lost. Thus, they, 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 they seek a means of escape to save them from teaching or find an excuse. Okay, so what he's saying here is he's recognizing the need for balance. And un- unfortunately, this is something that I don't think in many modern means of education is really good. And unfortunately, I see this issue even with my own children. And sometimes we, we don't have ways around this. They leave the house at 7 o'clock in the morning. They come back at 4. That's a long day. It's 9 hours. And then you want them to do this, you want them to do this, you want them to do all these other things. Masakin. Right? They've, been at, they've been out of the house since 7 o'clock in the morning and they didn't return to 4. Now, not the entire time is learning. But that is a long day for a child. Nine hours. People that are working full-time jobs, that's how long they're outside the house. And then you've got to let them relax a little bit when they come home. So how much else can you add on top of all of that? And so sometimes, because of the, the system, it makes it difficult. And um, that this whole idea nowadays that parents also have is that, you know, what is it called? Baby Einstein or whatever. And like that you want your children at age two just to, you know, get all the skills that they need to get the highest score ever, right, on the SATs or whatever they're going to test they're going to take after that, right? Yanni, it's good to want your children to succeed and so forth, but not to the neglect of their heart, not to the extent that you're going to just ruin them. And again, you know, sometimes parents neglect preparing their children for but, but sometimes parents neglect their children's spiritual health and they see signs that their kids are struggling. But still, it's like, no, you've got to get that degree. You've got to take this test. You get, and there's just this enormous pressure on them, which is not healthy. It's not healthy. And it's not for every child. You might have one child that's very motivated by those things, and yes, you should push that child. But you might have another child that their motivations are different. We have to, in the end, individualize. We have to individualize our tarbiyah, the way that we raise our children, and do what's right for each child. And um, we, we just, as parents too, just need to place our trust in Allah Ta'ala. I remember a friend of mine, when his son decided to go into the humanities and study history, he almost panicked. He like literally almost panicked, because he's like, how? Is my son going to be able to take care of me when I'm older? Right? He's, going, he's studying history. Right? What kind of job is he going to get with a history degree? Right? And he's, he's only going to be making $50,000, $60,000 a year. And that, these types of things, يعني, um, they're excessive. And we have to trust in Allah and to do everything that's right. But this is what it means to, and sometimes to not motivate certain children, is also you've fallen short in their right. Balance is what we want.
in all situations. But children need to relax. They need time off. And um, one of the things that Sidi Abdul Aziz points out in here is that this doesn't mean that we have to accept the dichotomy of there's serious learning and then there's play. Right? Yes, you can also that make play fun. He actually says here, my training as a teacher was based largely on the approach of that Maria Montessori, who encouraged play as a means to development. And then he goes on. So it, it, it doesn't mean if we have the ability to make learning fun that we don't do it. Of course you do. But still, even if it's fun, learning is intense. And sometimes you're more tired from exercising your mind after a long test than if you ran like five miles. Right? It's just like your mind, you, just, you get physically tired from use of your mind. And sometimes it uses more energy than physical exertion. So even if we make learning fun, still there's times where we need to uh, that allow our children to relax. And when it comes to that, we also have to be creative. It shouldn't be that we let our children do whatever it is that they want to do. Because if so they will likely be doing things that is not the best way to help them relax. Like playing Fortnite, or if they're boys, or whatever the young girls are doing these days. We have to channel it to something that is ideally permissible, is, is, is permissible and ideally something that's good for them. And understanding as well that in, in terms of the permissible, there's so many things that we prevent them from. We have to be gentle and balanced in that regard. Um, but this is something that we should be involved in. And I know my teachers, that in relation to their own children, they go out of their way to create environments for their children to relax. So they do it in good ways, as opposed to them just doing what everyone else is doing. And so that we don't sometimes think of it like that. But just as we should in terms of developing a schedule for the week, just as much in terms of when we plan for them to learn, we should plan for them to relax. We should be proactive in, okay, what can I do with my children on Friday night or on Saturday day, on the weekend when we have a day off or something like that? We should also think about that and find good ways of allowing them to relax. And so this is something that is important. And so he even goes as far to say, Kathar to ta'lim. Focusing too much on learning does what? Mot al-qalb. That's a strong way to refer to it. It leads to the death of the heart. In other words, is that if you push children too much, they're not going to be able to keep going. Little by little. And in the commentary, uh, they, they quote a few hadith that are very uh, helpful. Our Prophet said, "Rawihul qulub sa'atan fasa'ah." That sa'atan bisa'ah. That relax your hearts. That allow for your hearts relaxation from time to time. It's a hadith of the Prophet Rawihu, and that raha is repose. It's relaxation. So take time off. You can't be fully engaged. And sometimes, for some temperaments, it's harder than others. Um, there is a uh, one of the temperaments, the cleric temperament. The clerics like to be engaged at all times. And there's actually a book 
that I purchased called when I relax, I feel guilty. Are some people like that? When you relax, you feel guilty? That's one of the major signs you're cleric. Um, is that you just because you, you, there's so much to do, you feel that if you're not fully engaged, that you 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 know, right? You get frustrated and you feel guilty. You literally the clerks literally feel guilty. Whereas for other temperaments, it's like okay, we got to get them to actually do something, because they don't feel guilty at all when they relax. They just want to relax. Um, so ch- children are different, but everyone needs relaxation. We all know in our own selves. I know in my own life, you know and. Again, you have your great Mashaikh who like never relax, but it's like that's just from the secret in the Abitu and Rabbi is that they receive provision directly from Allah Ta'ala, that Allah is giving them nourishment in every way, and you can't be like them. You'll die, literally. You'll get sick, or if you keep going, you might die. You cannot keep up with them. And anyone that, tra- that has traveled with these great people, it's like Subhan al Khalaq. It never stops all day, every day, and literally two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep, never leaving tahajjud, never leaving their hizb of Qur'an, and then not going to bed until really late. Everything that is that they're managing, they're not just with the people that are there in front of them, but they're also doing all of these other things and keeping up to date here, keeping their personal, personal worship intact. Wow, it's very difficult to, to really manage all of that, whereas normal people, to relative degrees, need relaxation. And you have to, you know, and again, I'm speaking to myself now as someone who um, uh, likes to always be engaged. The same thing applies for the church. You've got to just... And if you don't, then it's harder to do the major work that you're doing, do during the week as well as you need to do it. Because if you don't relax, you don't have the energy. And so that's really what you're supposed to make. The intention you're supposed to make is, Ya Rab, I'm relaxing with the intention of strengthening myself to do the work. And that whether you're outwardly working to earn a livelihood, still your intention there should be for the sake of Allah. Because if you're taking care of the family, that's enormous amount of reward that you get for doing that. Um, and so you actually get reward in your relaxation. Because it's strengthening you to do what it is that you need to do when you're actually engaged. Um, and then are the famous hadith of the Prophet وسلم, in Bukhari, where the Prophet said, Inna li nafsika Your nafs, your own self, has a right upon you. When li ahlika Your family has a right upon you. Fa'ati There's so much wisdom in this statement. So, Give everyone who has a right over you their right. Everyone who has a right, give them their right. And so just think about, and this is one of the major ways we can uh, do time management as Muslims. This is one of the major factors in Muslim time management. Our hukuk, rights. You've got to give yourself its haq. So that has to be a part of your schedule. And even if you're a mother, even if you are helping other people, you're doing work in the community, whatever else. You have to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, how are you going to help your children? How are you going to help your family? How are you going to help other people? You have to take care of yourself. And your husband or other family members have to help you take care of yourself so that you can do what it is that you need to do.
And so that, that's one of the rights. Your Lord has rights upon you. That your family members have rights upon you. Community, and, and there's a lot of rights, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, but in the sense of the fact we don't have as much blessing in our time now as we did before. There's a lot to manage there. And um, uh, it, it's, it's good to think of it in this sense. And that there's certain people that we should call regularly. Parents, other family members, and so forth. And we should sprinkle that into our daily, weekly, monthly uh, that schedule. And then this uh, b- blessed hadith where the Prophet said, المُنْبَتُ لَا ظَهْرًا أَبْقَى وَلَا أَرْضًا قَطَعًا And the munbat, it comes from a word in Arabic, بَتَّ يُبُتُّ or بَتَّ يُبِتُّ which is to cut something. And the munbat is the one who's that cut off, i.e., the one that tried to travel so quickly to get to another place is that la dhaharan abqa his riding beast that he was on is just he killed it right it is he damaged it and wala ardan qata nor did he really traverse any distance because he didn't reach his destination so if you're trying to get somewhere and that let's say you're on a horse or whatever else and you're just going 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 and you did not allow your horse to rest in such that you damaged your horse in some way, whatever, he broke his leg or something happened to him, he just won't keep, whatever. Then what's going to happen? You never reach your destination. And that this is the way that we have to approach life, is that we have to, in a sustainable fashion over a long period of time, work towards achieving our goals. And this is also what we have to help inculcate in our children. This is for us and this is for our children. Teaching them the importance of dedicating themselves to something. And this is something I'm very thankful to my, to, for my mother for. Like if I ever joined a team, like she would absolutely not let me quit. Right? She's like, you are not going to be a quitter. And that was a lesson that I really benefited from. This idea, if you start something, you finish it. Unless that there's just really something that, you know, something comes up and it's just not healthy for them to remain on that team or whatever. Something serious happens, then that's different. But if you start something, you finish it. If our children start a puzzle, now if they're really, really young, that's one thing. But as they get older, if they start a puzzle, no, you finish the puzzle. And even if they want to move on to something else, no, we, maybe that requires you to get down to make it fun and to help. But this whole idea, if we inculcate in that in them from now, whenever you start something, you finish something. And then we start to give them, as they get older and older and older, more and more difficult projects that require more and more dedication. Because these are some of the best traits. These same, and the problem is... Um, this is, this is the way that in the throwaway culture that we have of plastic cups and plates and everything like this, there's all of these things that we get used to of just, okay, just throw it on and get something new. Um, and it's just the system is set up as such. It's cheaper to actually buy a new stove than to fix the old one. Okay, this, this, it's cheaper to actually just get a new TV instead of get some additional that whatever else you need for the old TV. And so we've developed a throwaway culture. Um, something breaks, just, okay, I'm going to get it something new. And I remember seeing this, this really neat uh, picture of there was these two 
there's this old couple, this old man and, and his wife, and they're really old, and the quote on there said, in our day, when something broke, we fixed it. Right? And the idea of that dedicating ourselves to things. And then that if there's no way to fix it, khalas, that's fine. But at least doing everything that we can possibly do to fix it, whether it's a relationship, whether it's uh, a commitment that we have, whether it's a job, whatever else, is that we're known that we dedicate ourselves to something. And it is for this reason that there, you know, and people like this are hard to come by. Hard to come by. It's not easy, because uh, the vast majority of people are very non-committal, or when they do commit, they're flaky. The vast majority of people. And yes, people are very busy. Yes, people. Uh, but one of the one of the greatest reasons of flakiness actually stems from imbalances in our own selves. Is that if we would really work on ourselves as human beings, we would be less so. And sometimes it's just a character trait that doesn't necessarily stem from imbalance. It's just something that we, it's just how we are. When, we're, when we commit to and this is why we should take time to really think about something before we do it. And then once you do it, you're committed to it. Until it's just, it's either done or this is just simply not working out. Now I'm going to move on. And this is what we really need to get to our children. So this is the idea of this hadith, is that when if we don't do things properly, we're not going to ever reach what it is that we are seeking. And if we don't do this, they will seek a means of escape to save them from that learning or find some type of excuse. So their children, if, the, if we don't give them that time and to help them that play when they need to play and to relax when they need to relax and to enjoy when they need to enjoy, they will find some way around it. And um, this, same, this is a golden principle. The same thing applies to the whole approach of the religion that we want to inculcate in our children. If we don't do it in the right way, the danger is subtle hypocrisy will start to develop in their hearts where they only are the way they are in front of us. And then behind the scenes, they have this hidden self that they never showed to you. And, you know, sometimes it could still happen even when you do things right because and this is the time which we live. It's a crazy time. And we have to be, we really have to be aware of that when you're monitoring your children. And when it comes to those things, this is where you have to just let go. And you have to just pull the reins back. And sometimes you have to let them do things. Let me phrase this correctly. Um, sometimes you have to uh, let them do things that are not the best. And because that by you putting too much pressure on, it would lead to a worse result. And that's where it gets really um, tricky is not the word, but that's where it requires a lot of wisdom and how to deal with those situations. And sometimes it's very difficult because you come from a certain family where it's like, no, those things, people from this family, don't do that. And so there's family pressure or whatever else. But, you know, or sometimes it's the way that someone's regarded in the community. 
oh, that person's children is doing that, right? Forget people. You can't do things for people. You are required before Allah to do what's best for you and your family. And to the, yes, to the other extent you consider other people, but in the end, you have to do what's best. And it doesn't matter what people think. And that what, what we're talking about, if we're all going to keep it real, let's just keep it real. And the more and more that you have seen children from the generation before us, whether they were raised in Islam or whether they converted to Islam, and to look at the challenges that they've had with their own children and things that have happened, these things are expected. And at the level of community, we can't have this idea at the level of community that everything is going to be easy and golden and wonderful and everyone's going to get along. And there's not going to be any problems and there's never going to be you know, divorces or children that have problems. It's like all of this is ridiculous. right? All of these things come with community. And on these, on these matters, this is what I've been trying to ex- explain to people, that if you just look at things, and this is obviously not that I'm encouraging divorce, but if you just look at statistics, that it's well over 50% in America. And so, and as a general rule, we're doing a lot better than other people in relation to these things. In any community, if you have 100 families statistically there's going to be 33 divorces in that family and so if there's significant unless you're doing great this is a part of this human beings this happens right there's going to be statistically of every 100 children children that really struggle with certain things and might do things that are majorly wrong so what do we do just kick them out of the community that what do we do just completely Right, exile them and push them even further? No, we, there's some very real things here that we have to be mature about. And um, you, we do our best to keep lids on things. We do our best to control things. We do our best to not let tendencies of individuals affect others when it comes to the children. But this is where maturity comes in and where we expect all of these things and having an approach that it's much better if someone is going astray that they still feel an unconditional love from their parents and that they know their arms extended. They don't open up the door for them. The parent doesn't open up the door for them to do wrong. They're very clear with them. That's wrong. You know right from wrong. You know you shouldn't be doing that, but my hand's extended to you. And I have love you. You are my son or my daughter, and I love you. We're going to have to make hard decisions uh, as parents. May Allah protect us and protect our children, you know, and... Um, you know, really this is a time where, Ya Allah, make dua for your children and for family members every day, every single prayer, after every prayer. This is a time where it's just, Ya Rabb, there's so many different influences out there. There's so much fitna out there. And that going down the wrong way is one click away for all of our children. One click away. Where they were never exposed to something click the button at the wrong time and a world of shit, demonic world opened up to them that they were never able to get out. What, one time, there's so many stories of, of that people from good families that were never exposed to any, they went to with the wrong people one time, tried a drug like crystal meth 
one time. And it's so highly addictive, that's it. They become addicts. One time. It's, it's scary. It really is scary. Um, and then, how do we deal with this? These things are very real. And I don't think our community is anywhere near mature enough to really start having these conversations openly yet. We, would just, we find comfort in denial and that we should find comfort and hope that it's not going to happen, yes. But we also, unfortunately, find comfort in denial. And that, 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 that is a negative type of comfort because we should rather try our best to do what it is that we can to prevent a lot of these things from happening. So the, the final thing before we open it up for discussion is that he talks a little bit about in this context of what is this beautiful trait, which is called rifq, gentle, excuse me, gentleness. And he says, وَرِفْقُوا فِي كُلِّ الْأُمُورِ أَحْسَنُوا قَالُوا بِذَا وَصَرَّهُ أُبَيَّنُوا And gentleness in all matters is best. That is what the scholars say, emphasize, and explain. So this is directly related from a hadith of our Prophet ﷺ. مَا كَانَ رِفْقُوا فِي شَيْءٍ إِلَّا زَانَ Gentleness will not be a part of anything except that it will adorn it. That thing will be beautiful. When there's rifq and gentleness in that thing, that thing will be beautiful. وَلَا كَانَ الْأُنْفُ فِي شَيْءٍ إِلَّا شَانَ And that the opposite of rifq, one of the translations of unf here is severity, harshness. It's also the word for violence. But severity and harshness will not be that a part of something except that it will destroy it. And that literally, shan here is like to disgrace it, but that it won't be, it's the opposite of zana. That things, when there's gentleness involved, will be beautiful. And one of the things that we mentioned in class last night in this regard that's so important is that, um, that if that you start looking for people's faults, you will ruin them. You'll ruin them. If our approach to a relationship, to a community, to an organization, whatever else, is that you know we're very harsh and we're severe and that we have a low level of tolerance and a lack of mercy and empathy, how is something going to go on? Right? You're going to ruin that relationship. You're going to ruin that community. You're going to ruin that organization. There has to be gentleness. Gentleness at all different levels. And uh, what really what this requires is that we um, put it into practice so that um, there will be this beautiful result and that this is the way of Sayyidina Muhammad And we see this reality in other things. If you're trying to fix something, uh, that if you don't do it gently, right? Sometimes you end up breaking it completely, right? And um, that likewise, when you start working out, if you're not gentle in terms of that, whether it's lifting weights or whether it's running a certain amount of miles, if you don't gently approach that, and you haven't ran in a long time, and all of a sudden you go out and try to run five miles, you might mess up your Achilles or hurt your knee or whatever else. And that the same thing applies to every aspect of life. 
that whenever there's gentleness in it, um, that it will that be beautiful and it will lead to great beauty. So this is uh, what he says, inshallah ta'ala, we can open it up now for uh, discussion, I'm sure, especially uh, the part about uh, physically disciplining children. There might be some questions, but also I would like to hear your perspectives on that. And um, that, what do you all think? Anyone? Yeah, um, I think that the only really... So the question is, um, for our children that are in school most of the day, um, and oftentimes that's in public school, how do we then educate them, inculcate spirituality in them, help them learn Quran and other things, um, given that? I, I think that we have to just uh, have realistic expectations first. So... Um, if you want your child, for instance, to be a hafiz of Quran, if you want your child to learn the Arabic language really well, you, you just have to put them in a different situation. Um, you, you can't have them in that situation that they're in by the five days a week with all of that time they're in school and homework and everything else they have to do for school. Expect much... We have to lower our expectations, essentially. And... Um, that certainly there's a lot that the child can learn just by the, from the parents, the family structure being intact, learning from the mother, learning from the father, and just how they are and how they interact with other people, things like that. Um, little things in place like making sure that they prayed, quizzing them, what surahs did you recite in Salat al-Dhuhr while you're at school? You know, helping them, em- emphasizing to them when they're at school even if they're not of legally of age yet, making sure that they're praying and things like that, monitoring who their friends, these are all things, who their friends are, these are all things that you can do when they come home, um, making sure that Mogadah prayer, or in sometimes that, and, and the, uh, closer to the summer, Asr, Mogadah, and Isha prayer is all done in congregation. Uh, ideally, the, the, that maybe taking one of the prayers out of the day, like Isha prayer, if there's a masjid close by or a masala close by, uh, things of that nature, and then sprinkling in the classes. And I think if we lower the expectations, it doesn't mean that we leave it completely. And the classes that we expose them to, to try to have teachers that fulfill some of these requirements that we're talking about, that really help inculcate in them the love of the Book of Allah uh, and, and the Sunnah. But then I really think, and I... And, um, there is good material out there, but I think there's a lot more that we can do. Um, really developing this idea of a general frame of how we present Islam to our children. And then reinforcing it regularly. Um, I don't have a text right now that like, I can point someone to that does that. And it has to be age specific. There's certain things you expose them to at uh, different stages of, of, of their uh, of their development, but uh, but I do think 
that's that that's something that we can do and ideally trying to preempt what it is that they're exposed to at even grade that they're in so but this is where it gets really stressful because someone be like, yes i'm on board let's do it with their children child's in sixth grade or seventh grade and they're already working and they have a home to take care of and they have all these other things going on in life how is that mother or that father going to know everything that that child is studying grade specific for all the grades as a yellow thief it gets very overwhelming right but just because again it comes back to this same principle it's a golden principle that just because you can't have all of something you don't leave all of it as a result you do what you can you have a solid family structure you reinforce the prayer first and foremost and basic adhkar, uh, supplications when you wake up, before going to bed, sprinkling in a few classes throughout the week. And that, that's really all you can do. Uh, and, and, and less that there's some other type of arrangement uh, that, that someone can be exposed to where uh, they uh, have their children in like an Islamic school or something where uh, that still there's, um, you know, there's still, uh, there's still benefits in even if, the the uh, the uh, standard curriculum is not as good as maybe in a, in a public school oftentimes, um, and um, that also using summers well that's also a big way. Is it really using summers well? And um, and and having a structure, you know, kids having two and a half three months off is not healthy. It's too much. So I would really use summers well where you, you immerse them in a situation where they're around good people and maybe that would mean that you have to travel somewhere if someone's able to. Maybe there's camps or something, but or just even in the house. Those are just a few ideas that come to mind. Yeah. Anyone else like to pitch in there? Any other suggestions? I know that's a big one for everybody. Kunda? but also very secular, like we all in public school. And in Indonesia, it's, uh, there's not yet Islamic studies is incorporated in, in uh, the public school uh, curriculum, but it's not that much. I mean, it's, I, I would say that it's almost the same as here. So we have, I grew up with between Maghrib and Isha, it's just one and a half hours. It's just to learn in one week, we learn every day that one and a half hours is just like 30 minutes for Quran and the rest is like divided all of like Islamic school, Islamic studies and uh, uh, Sira and uh, faith and all of those is just divided, it's little by little but those one and a half hours every day it was just so so much barakah in it that you know it's just like it's thick mm. it's a uh, that's how it is. That beside the, what uh, our parents uh, give us, you know, tarbiyah at home, and uh, I'm just going to point it out that it's just little, one and a half hours. Islam mm. is focused on specific time, and it actually works. I yeah. mean, it works uh, uh, with us, uh, uh, me and my siblings. Yeah. And the second one is like you ask uh, if like physical. Punishment. Mm-hmm. I remember my in Indonesia. There is not not really like nobody will call child service when you you know hit your kid. But 
I remember my, my mother is very shadid. I mean, that, she reminds me of so many of this, you know, young mothers here when they're trying to tell the kids, there's going to be consequences. I heard this many of this, all of this young, young mothers here in, in this room. And they were just like, mom, please, can we don't have, can, can we have no consequences? No, there is a consequence. So I said, you guys, you ladies, you scared me when you talk about that to your kids. But anyways, that's... They scare you when they say there's no consequences. No, they scare me when they said there is a consequence. Oh, when they, like, oh. I'm the children. So oh, oh, oh. <laughs> like, that's how, yeah. but, but I know. Huh? Ah, ah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But uh, in terms of like, I'm, my mother, I think it's much more uh, uh, strict uh, about that. But anyways, the the only time I remember my mother would give me punishment with uh, like physical punishment, like it as it's only for uh, missing prayer. Mm. And for her, other than that, you can we can talk about it. We mm. can you can negotiate. Yeah. But prayer, no way. There's no right. way you you're going to. Yeah. But yeah. before we got that to that point, she actually make us sit down. It's like a mushawara, like, you know, you sit down and this is what we're going to do. And she opened it up with the reciting hadith of, from Rasulullah, like seven-year-old, if you didn't, then hit that. Or nine-year-old, then, or whatever. It's just very specific. She mentioned that, like the whole thing. Like, we were like, what? My, my youngest one is just like four. But she said that to everybody, like, so, I'm going to do this to you. I don't like to hit you, but Rasulullah said that, so we have to follow what the mm. Sunnah, mm-hmm. so I'm going to hit you. So, <laughs> pick what the, what the, pick how, so, how yeah, so, so, yeah, so that's a, that's a, yeah, a, a kind of a, 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 a unique way of, of explaining, look, you know, you're going to get physically disciplined, and I don't want to do that, so it's a unique way of implementing that. And and I and I think if we're all honest with ourselves, like, um, like you know, I'm being recorded. I probably shouldn't say this, but <laughs> actually, I mean, my parents, you know, they're you know, you know, that you do something wrong. My and it was for my dad. It was like if I ever disrespected my mother, uh-huh. oof. He was very calm, but if I ever disrespected my mother, oh my God, he turned into a lion. And my mother was strict. She's from a German. I mean, my grandfather was something else. Like he was, it was, you know, and that's what people tend to forget. Like, you know, in America, there are certain things, right, you didn't do, right? That generation, like my grandfather, because my uncle, my aunt, you know, my mom was the youngest, so she was kind of, you know, didn't get in trouble as much, but whew, he, his, his discipline was fierce, right? And like, not just, spanking on the rear end with a palm type discipline um but you know i if i think about you know you know table manners from things from my parents where the, my parents were very strict on these things and we used to get so you know young teenage american kids right whatever i'm thankful now right things that that you know they were really strict on it helped me as inculcate something in me as a person now, I know there's extremes. In, in going to extremes, we're in agreement that that's blameworthy. So we're not talking about the bad cases of it. And so some of the ways, especially in Europe, that they've done is to close the door completely um, because of those cases. You know, that's one approach to it. 
right? But um, uh, reasonable discipline, you know, is, you know, I, I think it's something that I personally have benefited from in a family that, you know, there was, you know, never any hitting with a closed fist or anything like that, but like being spanked or if you'd laugh at how your mom spanked, it wasn't just, it wasn't just a hand that was hitting your rear end. I'll just put it that way. Um, but uh, um, I'm interested. Anyone else want to uh, join in on that? Yeah. Um, I think it's important for the parents to be cognizant of the fact that in order for it to be con- called physical discipline, you yourself have to be disciplined. Yes. You have to be cool and calm and collected. And yes. the child has to know that, the, that you know, I yeah. did this and this is the consequence. Excellent point. Yeah. Whereas I feel like sometimes it's more reactionary. Like the yes. child does something. Yes, or you're stressed out or angry and have a headache or whatever else in short. And then it's really, I think it's an excellent point. Yes, yes, very good point. Those are good points, yeah. Yeah. Anyone else? Please. Um, When my son, Isa, he was getting out of hand, uh, because my mom used to take care of him, and she doesn't believe in putting her hands on kids, especially her grandchildren. Mm. So, I had to step back and be like, okay, what's the best approach for him? And so, for me, I wasn't raised. My mom never put her hands on me. Mm. Um, I saw that it worked for me. I was... I was respectful for my mom, but for my sisters, it didn't work out so well. And on the other side, my husband was, I want to say he was really abused, but he, he would get spanked over some things that you would be like, that's, that's just not necessary. Mm. And so for us, it was like, he tells me that I need to be harder on my son. And for him, and for him I'm like, well, you need to be gentler on your son. Like, he's only three, he's doing mm. what three-year-olds do. But between us speaking about it, I felt I feel like it helped us come to mm-hmm. a balance mm-hmm. of what worked for. I very. That's a very important point where the parents collectively have a, a, a way of of uh, and um, and and sometimes it works where one of the parents is a little bit more of the disciplinarian and the other one's a little bit easier on them. Right, and, and, and in my case, it was my mo- my mother was the disciplinarian, and my father was the one who just let us kind of do, you know, uh, whatever. Um, and so sometimes that that helps, you know. And they actually they actually mentioned that where it's like, look, right, if you keep doing this, so and so, and sometimes yeah. it's the father is going to, or sometimes it's the father saying that to the mother about the mother. So I, that's, I think that's a very important point. Working together collectively on how to approach it. And, and I think that's uh, very good. Anyone else? I was going to add that um, we also have to be cognizant of what stages each child are in before we even give consequences. Mm. And the type of consequences we give. So they say, like, if your child is three years old, for example, and you want to put them in time out, it shouldn't be more than three minutes. Mm. 
you know, given consequences that don't make sense because right. for them they don't know how to relate to that, right? So if they mess up, if they didn't, you know, wash the dishes, let's say, and you're just like, you can't go outside today, those two don't right. make sense for a child because then they're like, well, why is this taken away from me? So it has to be a consequence that makes So realistic consequences based upon... Uh, yeah, the child's age and then the severity of what was, uh, of what was done. And they say you actually shouldn't give a child a consequence when you're in a state of anger, yeah. which is interesting because, like, uh, you know, in the Sita you see instances in which, like, the companions are so angry, but they don't move forward with hurting someone even anymore because they're doing it out of anger. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. And again, it gets back to our own self-control, our own discipline of our own souls. If, if, and, and really, the, and I think this is probably the, one of the hardest things of all for parents, all parents to swallow, is that um, to a certain extent, um, our children are archetypes of us. Right? Not only in terms of our DNA, but also in terms of what we have done that has now become a part of them. And that's hard to accept. And that requires a lot of ihsan to be introspective. And sometimes we have insecurities about our own selves. And we see it manifest in our children. And we don't like those things about our own selves. And they manifest in our children and... Right, which that's not fair to take it out on them from something that really began from us. And then um, I think in the end, and I'm going to probably mention this about 10 times throughout this class, because I think it's one of the most important principles of all that we always have to be reminded of, uh, this blessed statement of um, Imam Sha'rani, where he said, لا تعتددوا على الله في أولادكم Do not oppose the divine decree in relation to your children. Do not oppose the divine decree in relation to your children. That is so deep. Really, if everyone... It would be a really good idea for everyone to just take like 30 minutes and to really think deeply about that, how that relates to your own self and your own children, your own situation. It's really, really, really deep. And because you might have... You might as a parent want your child to be from the ulama, from the kibar of the awliya, to be that great person of deen, and they completely go astray. Subhanallah. Right? And then you, it might be that you didn't do anything wrong. Or it might be that you only did a few things wrong. Or it might be that you did a lot wrong. Everything is from the divine decree. And what you're responsible for before Allah is, Ya Rab. Forgive me for all of the mistakes that I've made in raising my children. That should be one of our regular formulas of seeking forgiveness. Ya Rabbi, forgive me. If I've ever done anything to lead my kids astray. If I, and we all have. Let's just be honest with ourselves. We've done a lot. Which one of us is perfect? Which one of us has not done something out of anger? Which one of us? We're all human beings. We all make mistakes. And that the difference should be is that we have the courage to recognize our mistakes and try not to do it again and to rectify it. And I personally believe that 
if we do, and this is, uh, everyone might not agree with me on this, more traditional parenting styles probably might not, I don't know. Um, but if we have given our children a punishment that was not in line with what they did, or we made a mistake, I believe that we should let, apologize. And because then what are you teaching your, your children? When you make mistakes, you rectify, Right? Or that you spoke to a family member in a way you shouldn't have, right? You address it. I shouldn't have said this. I shouldn't have done that. So even though it happened, we're going to rectify it. So you teach them that when things go wrong, you write them. And so just as we try our best not to do something wrong, but we also teach them when things do go wrong, we write wrongs. And you can write a wrong, especially with another human being, by... If you said something wrong, did you? Then say something nice. You did something wrong, you do something nice. And almost all human beings, that if someone admits that they did something wrong, um, that, and they see someone genuinely doing what is right and sincerely, that they open up to them. And um, it's, actually, it's actually considered to be one of the maharam al-lisan, one of the prohibitions of the tongue, and one of the dangers is that if someone comes to apologize to you and you don't accept their apology, it's actually severe. It's very serious. It's actually very serious. If someone apologizes, you have to accept their apology. And it's only in the rarest of occasions where it really will be for an ulterior motive, for whatever, yani, uh, there might be someone who does that, who apologizes for the wrong reasons. But we have to be open to accepting uh, apologies. So. Okay, any other? I know we've gone a little bit over time. Any other? Uh... I have a question. Oh, please. Yeah. Um, how far can a mother protect their child uh, from this basically we're around, like, especially when the child is really young? We're surrounded by so many, so many things, especially when they get together with family members, mm. you know, cousins and. Relatives. And, you know, not all of them, like, follow some of the law, like, the way, for example, it's, like, you want to protect your child from being exposed to, for example, right now, homosexuality and, and all these disgraced things that are out there, like, on television. Yeah. Like, how far can a mother go and yeah. just say, no, you can't do yeah. this, you can't do that, without coming, without seeing it sure. as if you're, like, too over- overprotective and, like, putting your right. in the bubble and, um, so, so the question is that for the people following online is um, our children are exposed to so much and really so much haram um, and whether it's through family or friends or whatever it is um, to what degree can we without being overproductive really do things to prevent to protect them from this um, if, am I, kind of, that's kind of the gist of the um, I think this is our, probably all of ours probably greatest worry, if you want me to be honest. And um, I think this is directly tied into the statement of Imam Sha'arani that I, that I just said. And um, it begins with us doing everything we can possibly do to protect them. You are required as a parent to preserve the fitrah of your child and to do everything you can possibly do to help them draw near to Allah Ta'ala. 
and to enter into paradise and to be close to Allah. You're required before Allah. That's the greatest obligation that's even a more emphatic obligation than preserving their physical, taking care of their physical needs, which is also an obligation. Um, and having said that, this is where there has to be wisdom. How exactly do we do that? That's really the question. And um, uh, my philosophy on it, and I know some people, like I know certain people that put their kids in public school so that they can see the difference between Islam and Muslims, uh, Muslims and non-Muslims, no right from wrong. Like me personally, I, I could never ever do that. Me personally. Like I, I can't comment on anyone else. And if someone really felt that they had a situation where they could do that and navigate it well, that's one thing. That's, of course, given that there's a choice. Some people don't have a choice. Um, I am personally inclined more towards being as protective as possible without um, that without neglecting the fact that you have to give them skills to stand on their own without you. Now, I probably didn't really answer your question, <laughs> but but that to me is my what I try to live by is that to be as protective as possible, okay, without not giving them the skills to stand on their own. Right. So my daughter right now is 16 and unfortunately because of my other side of like her her my side of the family she wants to get a driver's license and be out and about and you know she proves tells all all these reasons why she should be driving right and that's not from that's from my side of the family that's the type of stuff she hears when we're on family vacations and stuff like that right now at some point of course I'm going to let my daughter drive I'm going to teach her how to drive myself I'm going to right when the time is right I'm trying to postpone that as much as I can until that it's like okay now there really is a need when that time arises of course I'm going to teach you how to drive right that's the same approach I have with a phone alhamdulillah none of my children have phones yet again I'm not commenting on how other people do things in their own house I'm trying to postpone that to the extent possible until where at this point it's just like kind of being overly protective all of our children are going to have phones at some point. So the question is not them having phones or not having phones. We all have phones. right? She sees us on the phones all the time. All we can do is postpone it. right? And then, but it's also important to teach them how to use the phone and to develop trust. And so all of these things have to take place before that. right? And there's still an immense danger despite all that. So we could do as much as we can, we do everything right, and there's still a danger. And that's why trusting in Allah, prayer, and submission, that's all we can do. And then, don't think it's easier back home, or if we're from here and we converted, leaving this country. It could be worse, whether someone's from Turkey, from Pakistan, from the United Arab Emirates, from whatever country that they're from. I guarantee you, in some situations it's worse than here. In some situations it could be better. But, again, the vast majority of Muslims don't have the privilege to do that anyway. So we can't have a discourse that assumes that that's the only thing you can do. We have to do it here. And develop principles for living here. Uh, so, that's really it. I would try to say is you try to be as protective as possible. 
uh, without <coughs> neglecting the fact that you need to teach them to stand on their feet. Which is supposed to, for, yeah. for example, with the families. You know, yeah. Because when, when you get together with your family and yeah. grown-ups, and, and then the children get together aside. As sure. Like, as a grown-up, I would always go on to go and stop the children. Like, you know, you, this is not allowed. We should watch this. And I'm always as looked as a, at the, as the enemy. Like the children, not letting them have any, have any fun. Sure. Because sure. everything that they do when they get with the cousins. Yeah. The no, I, so, so what, one of the things I would do there is the on an individual basis, establish, try to establish relationships with all of them. So there's other times where you're taking them out to ice cream, you're taking them out, you're doing things that are permissible. You're giving them little candies if they can eat candies. I know I always get myself in trouble with that one. <laughs> right? Or whatever else. Yeah, and you're. You're, you're establishing a re- actively establishing a relationship with them so that when they see the auntie come in in their eyes, that they love you because of the ihsan that you've shown them outside of that. And then you, at the same time, right, you're the disciplinarian. So I wouldn't say don't ever not do that because I have to do that, I have to do that too. Or I'll go to things like, no, you can't watch that. Right? You can't do this. You can't, and that we have to do that. Because you can't just leave them as lambs to the slaughter. But at the same time, it's about how we do it. Right? And we have to be very careful, especially when we're in those environments, whether we have Muslim family members who are not really practicing, or are practicing, but just for whatever reason don't consider that wrong, or whether we have non-Muslim family members, we don't want to be seen as that person who is just always angry and upset about everything. So that's really the balance. You might still have to do that, but try, and it's hard. Not to let it spill over where you become excessively negative and things like that. Yeah. Inshallah. Inshallah. give us tawfiq and bless us in all our affairs. We sit on the